I was going to say something along the same lines of like, coaching is a lot more than just the measurables. Like, you know, should you, um, should you fire your coach after three months because your FTP hasn't increased? Maybe, but if your coach has also helped you like improve your consistency and volume, which he already has said that those two things have gone up. But even like more than that, if you get along with your coach, if you enjoy the coaching relationship, if your le- if your life is less stressful because you have that coach now, all of those are benefits of coaching other than just the measurable of like FTP. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're getting into how to structure training for teachers slash seasonal workers, when it's the best time to consider changing coaches, and how to integrate skills work into your training plan. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. With the recent warm weather that's been sweeping across the Midwest, I've been relying heavily on Flow to get me through this big block of training. And if you're like me, then the easier you can make things on yourself, the better. Flow Formulas has everything you need to make fueling your rides a breeze, so head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IGNITION10 for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title The Matchbox Podcast or hit us up on Instagram. All right, let's get into it. All right, so this first question comes from a time crunch teacher in Chris. He says, Ignition Coaches Nation. Question number one, do you follow your athletes on Strava? Uh, you follow them in training peaks, obviously, and monitor their training. I don't know. Do you guys follow your athletes on Strava? Oh, uh, love this question. Yep. Yep. I follow everybody on Strava, actually. I can't tell I'm, if you're I'm guessing Drew Strava. doesn't no, I don't have Strava. Have, I don't even have Strava. Dude, I, I mean, I have Strava, but I, I think I follow maybe 15 people, and they're people that I followed when I like first got Strava, and I decided to follow some people um and i don't look at what they do and they're not my athletes <laughs> um yeah i can't say i usually don't like go out of my way to follow at my athletes just because i mean i follow them on training peaks um but i mean if mm-hmm. if an athlete of mine follows me on strava like i'll usually give them a follow back um but i would never like use strava for any kind of like ride analysis um question number two so he says, I'm a time crunched athlete that's during it. the. Wow, that's <laughs> what? That was the, that was the Strava that was question. That's we got another question. All right, easy. Well, he should, <laughs> he should definitely go and join the Ignition Coach Co. Strava page. I'd be able to, maybe you can speak, you two can speak more to it, but since I don't have Strava. Have you never had Strava? That's the end of my. No, or I've had the, it, but I, you know, between like all the social medias out there, I just have been slowly but surely getting less and less of them um yeah i mean i feel like strava is the one you'd want to keep because you're a cyclist yeah dude how do you get strava was like one of the first ones to go because it's like the least important like i don't need anything that strava offers like i don't want people to give me kudos for yeah so like i don't care about that (laughs) i don't need people to give me a kudos on a big ride I'm not doing the big ride to get a kudos. I'm doing the big ride to win races. So when I win races, that's like the kudos that I want. So you'll put you'll the, put your thumbs up your that, race winning files on Strava. Um, no, oh no, I'm not on Strava at all. All right, just never, <laughs> never on Strava. Okay, yeah. 
So you're out there setting your own training peaks KOMs then? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't need people to like, I, that's not why I train. I train to race. Okay. Like racing is my, that's where I get my satisfaction. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I drew, I'm in agreement with you. I train to race as well and I don't chase KOMs, but I still post everything yeah, on Strava. Right. Yeah. Right. Dude, I, I, I just ride, and if I get a KOM, I get a KOM. I, oh, if I just I, get mm. a KOM. Yeah, right. Okay. The, the area where I live, you're not just going to get a KOM. Yeah, exactly. When you just ride. Dude, but if, I, if, I'm, if I'm in the middle of nowhere and I have to stop and do a ride real quick, I, I can. you'd be surprised at how easy they are to get. Dylan, remember <laughs> when we got that like highway KOM in uh, yeah. at Schwamigan? <laughs> I was riding at Zone 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Anyways, let's move on. We've talked for so long about Strava and not answering. Okay. So, so Chris's <laughs> question number two is he says, I'm a time crunched athlete during nine months of the year because he's a teacher and a coach. He's curious on everyone's thoughts on training. Uh, so he says, you know, Adam knows my background and the plan that he has been working on at this time because I am prescribing Chris with training plans. Uh, he says, I just started working with Adam in February to help me reach my goal of finishing Leadville in under 12 hours. I've enjoyed working with Adam as my coach so far. First time working with a coach, keep up the good work. Um, so again, so he's, he's kind of curious, like, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on how you would structure a season, uh, assuming that someone is a teacher and they work nine months of the year, um, and then the, you know, two or three months during the summertime, they have more time available. Right. And this person is doing Leadville. That's their A race. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that the good news is that Leadville is at the end of your, and maybe maybe you chose Leadville for this reason, but uh, depending on when you go back to school, Leadville is pretty close to the end of your summer break. So you got all summer with no work to do uh, to train for Leadville, which is you know which is good. And the other good thing about Leadville is that it is a you know a long distance ultra endurance race. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't go against periodization to continue doing high volume up until Leadville uh, because I'm now I'm assuming that if you've got time off in the summer you're going to want to ride your bike a lot um, to you know to train for whatever you're training for whereas I don't know if you were training for the cyclocross season or something it 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 wouldn't be optimal because you're you know right going right into cyclocross season you may want to reduce your volume and increase your intensity, but that's also when you've got all this time to train. So I, I think you got two things going for you there. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I, I don't often suggest that people follow a reverse periodization method, first periodization being, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that here either, but reverse periodization would be where you, uh, you, you, instead of decreasing volume and increasing intensity as you get closer to racing, you, um, you increase volume and you decrease intensity. So you start with very high intensity below volume and, and continue that way. Um, I mean, that might be an option considering what you're training for and considering the time constraints that you have. Yeah. So funny you say that that's actually what we're doing. <laughs> um, okay. so, you know, given, yeah, that his time constraints right now and knowing that, Come June, July, he's going to have more time available to get some longer rides in. We're we're focusing on yeah, basically reverse periodization. We're going through like VO two max builds, 
right now. Then we're going to get into a little bit of like steady state and threshold work. He's also doing unbound 100. So um, okay. kind of keeping that it's, it's not a priority race, um, you know, but kind of keeping that in the focus too. Um, and that's early June. So that's like before he would get to, you know, have his like base season in the June, July timeframe. Um, but then, yeah, yeah, once June, June and July come around, we're going to get some big miles in and kind of just maintain some of that intensity. And then, mm-hmm. you know, August kind of taper into Leadville. We'll go back into some higher intensity stuff. But that's what, that's what we're planning to do right now. And, and the way that I think about it yeah. for, for, for some of these athletes is like, truly you, you, you get to treat your summertime as your base season. Like that's the time that you have the most availability to train. Mm-hmm. So when everyone else is doing their base season in October through January, you're doing your base season in June through August. Um, you kind of just have to flip the whole season on its head uh, to, yeah. to do that. Um, and then you also have to be strategic with with which races you're selecting and how those fit into that that periodization. Yeah, and you know, ho- hopefully, if this guy doesn't have uh, have to be in a particular place for work, he can be somewhere that's high altitude to get ready for Leadville. I don't know if that's in the cards for him or not, but yeah, he, uh, he lit, he's from the Midwest. So, and I don't know, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about potentially going up to acclimatize. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's in the cards, um, but assuming it's not in the cards, then, you know, either way. Yeah. I mean, mean either way, the thing is either like, way. We, yeah. Yeah. Leadville, Leadville is a, is a, this is a particularly good race to do that for because um, Leadville is an interesting case where, I, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think you need to be punchy for Leadville at all. And and that's different than other 100-mile mountain bike races. There are other 100-mile mountain bike races that are at low altitude that have punchy climbs that you do need to be punchy for. There are other ultra endurance events that are at lower altitude that, you know, uh, you need to be punchy a little, a little bit punchy for not, you don't need to be like crit crit ready, but you you need some punch. Leadville is like it. First of all, the, the, the course is long climbs, so you don't need to be punchy for those. And then it's such high altitude that if you're, if you're punching over anything, you're screwed. Like you just shouldn't do that in the first place. So the the nature of the race is like you can just be this this aerobic steady state machine and it's fine yeah agreed what about you drew any thoughts no thoughts <laughs> he <laughs> hates leadville <laughs> i've never done it and don't really like plan to and i just avoid all races at altitude yeah fair enough all right uh, okay let's move on to the next question here so this one comes from trey and he's wondering how long it takes to see progress with the coach. So says so the first question, how long does it take to see results from coaching? And at what point should a client consider changing coaches? And he says, now for the background, I started with a coach at the end of last year because I wasn't making progress and having difficulty fitting my training into a hectic work schedule. I told myself that I would probably take six months to a year for the coach to figure me out and to start seeing real results. It's been a little over three months of training with my coach, not an ignition coach because I didn't know about y'all until recently, and I find myself disappointed at times nope, with my progress. That's your first mistake right there. <laughs> I know it hasn't really been enough time for drastic changes, but I find myself wondering how long is long enough before concluding the coaching relationship just isn't working. My coach is great, responsive, knowledgeable, etc., but I also want to see tangible progress since coaching is a serious financial commitment. 
This is also the most consistent I've ever been on the bike, along with increased weekly hours. So seeing power numbers mm. stagnate at best is pretty demoralizing. I know there is more to performance than watts, and the real test for me will be a high-priority race at the end of April. Thanks, Trey. Okay, how long has this person been with the coach? Uh, a little over three months. Mm. Yeah, three months is not that long. Um, but they so this person says that this is the most hours they've done and the most consistent they've been on the bike ever. Yeah, they're not seeing progress. <sighs> that is that's mm. so. There are some people who get a coach and. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. They don't follow what the coach tells them to do. Like they have the coach and the coach prescribes stuff, but then, you know, and, and I, I know this from experience as a coach, you go and look at what they did that week and they didn't do anything that you told them to do. And it's like, okay, there's a reason why you didn't make progress. That doesn't sound like the case here. If anything, it sounds like this, this person is being more disciplined, uh, more consistent. And if progress is still not being made, I'm, I don't, I don't know what the coach is prescribing, but uh, here's what I'll say. Cause I, I did a video on how genetics affect cycling performance, which is kind of a depressing video to watch, to be honest with you, because the answer is that it affects it quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, it's not everything by any means, but it, it's a lot of it. Um, and there is a bell curve for how people respond to training. They've done studies where they give every person in the study the exact same training to do. So nobody is training harder or no one is training more. They're all training the same amount. And there's a bell curve of how well these people respond. Some people respond extremely well, and they're very far out on the bell curve. And then there's a there's an average, and that's the middle of the bell curve. And then at the the other end of the bell curve, the unfortunate few people, there are people that hardly respond at all. In fact, there are people that didn't make any progress throughout the entire training period, which is pretty depressing. I'm not saying that that guy is in that category, but, um, you know, I guess just realize that that's a factor. If, if you are one of those people, there's almost, you know, there's almost like nothing that a coach could do. So that was super depressing, but, but, <laughs> um, so I guess other factors kind of his to initial question, you know, his, his original question was how long does it take to see results from coaching? And at what point should a coach or client consider changing coaches? Yeah. I mean, so in typical circumstances, if, if you got a coach and then you started training more consistently and with more hours than you ever have before, I would I would expect to see gains in a month. Like I wouldn't expect you to be at the same FTP after a month of coaching like that. I would expect your FTP to increase. Yeah, with, uh, the, I mean, with the only the... exception being unless they're not uh, scheduling in enough recovery, in which case you're just overly was, fatigued. Yeah, I was going to say that it could be it could be overtraining and fatigue. Um, yeah, I was going to even I was going to even mention the other side of that is <clears throat> you know you've got fatigue or i mean what what were or or you're just not doing enough intensity so i mean but we just don't know enough details to know which one of the cases but i think what we're both what both of those questions are kind of getting to is the intensity distribution of like are they following like a a training plan that's majority low intensity with some high intensity mixed in so i think that's the by far like the proven way of like how you increase performance is a lot of low intensity with some high intensity 
Um, so are they getting, are they getting any high intensity or are they getting too much high intensity? Is that, that's kind of like what I'm thinking. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, traditionally, you know, Trey says that he started with the coach at the end of last year. So let's assume December. And now he's, you know, trained with the coach through March. So Mm -hmm. traditionally that's like your base period. Um, but he's got a high priority event at the end of April. So it's hard to know, like, has he still just been doing base training this whole time or has he started to ramp up the intensity like Drew's talking about? in preparation for this high priority race at the end of April. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to know where he's at in his training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, you, it's very, if you are in a much more fatigued state than you've ever been, and maybe you don't even know what that fatigue state feels like, because you've never been to that fatigue state before this time. Um, it's very possible that you, you know, you can't do as well on a 20 minute power test. Or you, you know, you. It looks like your power has an increase, but if you give yourself enough recovery, you actually have made fitness gains. Um, I, I, the the other caveat that I'll give there is if you start your coaching in the off season and your coach prescribes not a lot of riding and maybe some, you know, more time in the gym, uh, and you just came off of a heavy race season, it's also possible that uh, you're not going to see fitness gains because it's not the time of year to see fitness gains. Yeah. Yeah. And and as far as like, you know, how much time you should give a coach, you know, in this case here, Trey talks about how his coach is uh, very responsive, knowledgeable. Um, They're getting along with them great personally. Um, If that's the case, then I would say, you know, you're looking at you want to probably give that that coaching relationship like a good six months before you can expect to like really see like those improvements setting in. Um, cause yeah, like we were all talking about here, it, it, it really depends on where you're at in your, in your training, uh, progression throughout the season. Um, but if you're, if you're not, you know, like if, if communication is off or if the, the plan that they're providing you just doesn't seem, uh, scientifically sound, you know, and, um, you know, maybe you're just not getting along with them personally, like whenever you have conversations, like the conversations aren't going very well, then that's like, you know, that's a different circumstance where like you might consider, okay, looking for another coach. Um, but as far as like seeing progress, I still think, I think three months is maybe just not enough time. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say something along the same lines of like coaching is a lot more than just the measurables. Like, you know, should you, um, should you fire your coach after three months because your FTP hasn't increased? Maybe, but if your coach has also helped you like, improve your consistency and volume which he already has said that those two things have gone up but even like more than that if you get along with your coach if you enjoy the coaching relationship if you're let if your life is less stressful because you have that coach now all of those are benefits of coaching other than just the measurable of like ftp um so you know if, if you can if you can see the other benefits of coaching or don't see those other benefits then maybe the you ask some of those questions as well like the not so you know, not so black and white questions of like, well, is it beneficial having a coach? And I'm assuming that the the reason why this person has a coach in the first place is because they want to do better at these races that they're training for, like this race in April. So maybe wait till the race in April, see how the race in April goes. You know, does it go well? Does it not go well? Um, maybe reassess then. Yeah. So in, in one the, other, at, yeah, 
Cause, cause the, he says that he started with a coach at the end of last year because he wasn't making progress and he was having difficulty fitting his training into a hectic work schedule. So, so I don't, I also don't know what this person's training history is. Um, now if he got the coach because he wasn't making progress and then he's still not making progress with the coach, it could be that he's just, you know, he's just kind of, uh, he's been training for a while and he's just sort of maxed himself out on the current volume that he's able to do. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's yeah. that possibility. Although he does say that he's increased his volume. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's okay for you to have this conversation with your coach too. You know, your coach is there to be in your corner to help you see improvements and, and, you know, overall come a better, you know, well-rounded athlete. So have this conversation with your coach, let them know like, Hey, I'm not quite seeing the progress that I'm looking for. And maybe, maybe they, they're not expecting you to see progress yet either, because again, like it depends on the, the training stimulus and where you're at in your plan. You know, maybe they're expecting to see results, you know, middle of April or, you know, come race day, like they're preparing you for race day or something. Um, but have that conversation with your coach. Don't, don't, um, don't think that your coach will be upset you know, for, if you're coming to them, not, you know, not super excited about the the progress that you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. All right. Okay. One more question here. This one comes from David and he's talking about skills work. So he says, hi, I'm wondering how you all go about incorporating skills work into a training plan. In my specific case, there are two separate types of skills work that I'm thinking about. First are fastish group rides, which I understand are iffy from a training benefit perspective, but important for me to rebuild some rusty pack skills after a few years of exclusively riding solo. The second is that I just got a mountain bike, so that's a whole new set of things to try and learn how to do on the bike. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be helpful if we knew what this person is training for, uh, because I don't know, are they training for road ra- <laughs> Are they training for road races? Or are they training for mountain bike races? Or maybe they don't race and they're just trying to be a more skilled rider. Um, but yeah, I mean, pack skills and mountain bike skills are very, you know, that is, that is two separate categories of, of cycling skills right there. What, what exactly is the question? So I think he just wants to know, like, how do you go about incorporating skills work into a Mm. training plan? You know, so like for you guys, like, will you ever prescribe an athlete, go do a hard group ride because, you know, they've got a, their crit season's coming up and you want them to brush up on their, their pack riding skills. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is absolutely. I mean, if, if you watch that recent video that I did about group rides versus riding solo, I think I was more critical of doing group rides for your zone two workouts, because, uh, unless everybody in the group is on the same page, it, it can be quite hard to stay in zone two with a group. Um, but if, if you have a hard, like weekday night, a Tuesday night group ride, for example, that's hard and it's, you know, uh, everybody knows it's hard and you're trying to drop people and you're trying to win town sprints and all that. Um, I think that that's a great, first of all, I think it's a great workout because I think you're able to push yourself a little bit harder than you normally would just in a normal interval session. And while it's not as structured, I, I do think that there are those other benefits like getting, uh, you know, getting group work in learning how to ride in a pack, learning how to time a sprint properly that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that's super valuable. Yeah. I mean, I've gone to group rides, uh, in the past where my, and my coach has given me some, some specific things to try and work on, you know, like, um, you know, I've, I've done some where it's like 
sit on the front and do a lot of work because we're trying to just build a lot of fitness. But then I've gone to group rides on other days and there, and he, and you know, a coach maybe has told me to really focus on being punchy and attacking or waiting for the sprint to practice sprinting. Cause that's like a skill that I want to develop is sprinting, you know, so you can even go to those different group rides with specific skills that you want to develop on that group ride as well. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, sure. I guess getting back to the original question of like um, incorporating it into a training schedule, um, the way I do it is, you know, pretty flexible. Uh, I kind of leave it up to the athlete. Like if they want to go ride their mountain bike on an endurance day, I think that's okay. Um, I think getting out on the mountain bike and, you know, as long as you can, you can like still stay in that zone too for the majority of the ride, even if there's some like punchy climbs and stuff. I think being able to do endurance and work on skills at the same time is kind of like killing two birds with one stone. But I do think it's kind of hard sometimes to do a structured workout on trail. Like if you're talking about mountain bike trail, um, a lot of cases, if somebody's trying to do intervals on their mountain bike on the trail, I'll make it a little bit more loose. So I'll say, okay, instead of doing like these, these three by 12 minute over unders where like it's down to the minute and you're doing things, I would say like, just go do three by 15 race pace efforts. Cause they're probably going to naturally go over under and do some of that over under work anyways, cause of the terrain. And it's like really hard to try and stay on the pedals for 15 minutes on the mountain bike cause of the downhills, the turns, but you can do a pretty good job at like keeping a pretty high heart rate for 15 minutes. And so a lot of times I'll look less or maybe not even at all, at the power for a mountain bike workout and I'll look more at their heart rate and see kind of where their heart rate was. Um, so that's kind of how I've done it in the past with, with athletes that are training for like mountain bike stuff. Cause I do think it's beneficial to go hard on your mountain bike on trail before a race. So I'm not going to like only prescribe road workouts. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And in, in the same sense that, you know, it's beneficial to go to that hard group ride, uh, to work on your pack skills or, you know, sprinting skills in a, you know, four up sprint or whatever. Um, same with a mountain bike. Like you've got to get out there and experience what it's like to ride the trail at 20% faster than when you're just going out kind of leisurely pace, you know, or 50% faster. I mean, like there, there's certain times where you're really pinning it. Um, you know, can you descend after your heart rates pegged at 180? You know, you got to kind of experience that before race day. Um, I think that's where like local races, you know, can be really beneficial too. Cause like sometimes with the mountain bike too, like, you know, the starts are, are very challenging. You know, you're starting with 30 or 40 or a hundred other riders and trying to go for the whole shot and things are kind of chaotic. And then once you get on trail, now you're like, you know, bike to bike, you know, wheel to wheel. So, you know, working on those kind of skills too. And like the, you know, throwing in some of those local races is beneficial for that. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of the same thing, Drew, is where where I'll I'll send some of my mountain bike athletes out to do like hot laps, basically, you know, go out, find a, you know, 15, you know, 10 to 15 minute circuit and, you know, kind of pin it at race pace for, for, you know, 10 minutes and then take a recovery and then do that again um, to kind of, yeah, simulate some of those race pace feels on the, on the trails. Um, so one other thing that I was going to add too is like, like I have some athletes who, who request that they just have a skills day you know, and they just, they just want a day where they don't have to worry about doing like a real workout. They're just kind of going out and working on skills. And I'm usually a little hesitant to put those in because if you're going out and trying to just, I don't know, ride around on your mountain bike and teach yourself skills, I think sometimes that can be counterproductive. 
So what I like to try and get out of them is like, okay, what are you going to, like, what does that mean? You know, are you going to go out with a writer that you know is better at skills than you and like follow them and try and learn from them, see their lines, ask them questions? Like if that's the case, like that's totally, totally cool. Um, or even better, hire a skills coach, you know, like have a dedicated skill session with a trained mountain bike skills coach who can like show you some things to work on. That way, when you do go, you know, out, you know, back out to do some of those skills, you know, that dedicated skills days, you know, kind of what you need to work on versus like just going out there and kind of riding. A lot of times that can be counterproductive. Yeah, it makes sense. Cool. Anything else to add? Uh, I don't think so. I think that was all good stuff. Sweet. Look at that. We had Drew on the podcast and we still kept it at under 30 minutes. Mm. We're hey, cutting it off there, too. Don't tempt, don't tempt me. I, we can go down another hole. We could go down another rabbit hole. No, I think I think we're done. We'll, we'll okay. call it there. Thanks, guys. Yep. Catch you next week. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., Developing coaches, connecting athletes.